There's lots of information out there that'll help you catch more fish, but there's very little information on what to do once you've got one. Well, we're going to talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here, and thanks so much for tuning in once again to the latest episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, it's brought to us again this week by Sportsman's Warehouse, like it has been all the rest of the Fishful Thinker content for the last 20 years. Check those guys out at one of 136 stores nationwide or visit them at sportsmans.com. Springtime, everybody's out fishing. Your social media feed's filled with fishing stuff. There's all kinds of information out there about fishing stuff. But you know what very little gets talked about is what do you do when you've got a fish? And the funny thing about that is it seems kind of intuitive, but what I know from dealing with fish in, uh, on guide trips, people dealing with fish in my boat, observing other people, fishing with other people, uh, is a lot of times there's some very simple things that can be done to make the fish you've caught either much better chance of surviving when you let him go or a better chance of being high quality table fare if you're going to keep them. So we're gonna talk about both of those here. And real quickly before I get going on that, I want to state my stance because I know a lot of people uh, can be polarizing about keeping fish and I get that. I totally get that. I love fish. I love eating fish. I love catching fish. I love being around fish. I've had fish tanks my whole life. I don't want to see fish die needlessly. So having said that, I will eat them. That's not a needless death. So if when it comes to to catching and deciding which fish to eat. This is what I want to talk about real quick to get this started. I'm a believer in selective harvest, meaning that you eat fish that are in the fat part of the population curve, not, not the giants, not the dinks. Uh, you eat fish that are in the middle of the range for the population in general of size. So that's first step because that's the size there's most of in there. Uh, and in whatever the body of water it is you're fishing or whatever species of fish it is. Uh, I don't want to keep the biggest ones because they have proven to have the genetics to attain bigger size. So those are the ones you want out there uh, in the ecosystem making more babies. In mid-sized fish, there's just no telling. And we don't want to eat the runts because then you're needlessly getting a fish uh, before it may even have had a chance to reproduce or anything like that. Now, all bets are off when you're talking about something like a stalker trout where they're typically a put-and-take deal. Um, that's very, very simple uh, as far as decision process goes of whether you keep them or you don't. I will say this. The stalker trout that they put in many of the reservoirs here in Colorado where I live will grow at an exceptional rate, uh, like an inch a month. So if you can find it in your heart to put a couple of those 10 to 12 or 13 inch trout back, it doesn't take them very long to turn into 20 inch trout or, or more. Uh, and in my home lake, they top out around the 30 inch mark. So you're talking about fish that are into the, into the double digit weight wise. So, but they do need a little bit of time to do that. So keep that in mind. Also understand they're not going to reproduce in any of the reservoirs in Colorado with any real number or anywhere around the rest, really. So it's really a put-and-take fish, no, no question about that. So, uh, But for me, the selective harvest thing is, is just the fact that, hey, if I can eat fish fresh, great. 
I'm going to be inclined to do that. I don't like to freeze fish, for one. For two, I'm not keeping the giants. I'm not keeping any of the babies either. You know, I saw a guy the other day on the lake. He had a whole string of crappies that were about five or six inches long. Now, is it legal? Yes. Is it ethical or is it even decent table fare? Probably not uh, in the grand scheme of things. If he'd have left those crappies in there and let them get to be 10 inches, maybe I could understand it. But, uh, but at any rate, again, pick your battles there. I'm not going to preach you do you within the bounds of the law. Now, <clears throat> let's say we are going to keep fish. Let's say we're going to eat some of these fish. If it's... if for me, if I'm going out with the intention of harvesting fish, I will have a cooler with ice in it available to me. And the reason is I would rat the best quality fish you can get is if it is immediately dispatched, um, bled out, dispatched, and put on ice. And the reason that that's the case is that the meat will stay firm. The fish will not build up lactic acid any more than he already did from the fight. Uh, the bleed-out process will make for a beautiful cleaning, uh, clean fillet, I should say, a much less messy fillet process in general. And all we do to do that uh, for a bleed-out for a fish is cut the gills out. And fish will bleed out very, very quickly uh, within the span of about 30 seconds if you do that. So, uh, but doing that is the first thing I'm going to do to keep fish, if at all possible, is put them straight on ice immediately. As soon as they're, as soon as they're bled out, um, they go right on ice. And that will make for very, very good quality table fare fish. In lieu of that, uh, next possible choice will be to keep it alive in a live well. Uh, I think this is an excellent option as well, and obviously a very common one when you run around in a, in a traditional fishing boat. Uh, also a good option. I'll tell you the truth. I'd still rather, particularly if the water in the reservoir or lake is warm, I would still far rather have ice to put the fish on immediately rather than the live well. And it's intuitive to say, oh, I'll keep the fish alive. Well, that's fine, but he's running around stressing out really hard in warm water, and that's not going to make for uh, an exceptionally good eating fish. So again, even even if I have a live well, my inclination would be to plug it uh, so that it doesn't drain lake water and then fill it with ice and put my fish right in that um, and, and go that route if I'm intentionally harvesting fish. If I'm on the bank, uh, again, then I'm back to the cooler. Going to have a cooler with ice in it. Uh, and if, if, if that's really the best case scenario all the way around, and if not, then a stringer. But here again, if you're in a warm water situation, Fish on a stringer are not going to taste very good, and especially if you're talking about something like a, a trout, a stalker trout that's maybe been in the lake for a few months, um, hasn't even really flushed all the pellets out of them in the first place. You catch them on a nice warm spring day, and now you've got this fish on a stringer in 70-degree water, 65-degree water, right on the edge of the bank where you're sitting, and that is just not going to be a very tasty trout by the time you leave him there, he's going to die right away, then you're going to drive him home and all his color is going to be faded and he's going to be all stiff and yucky and that is not going to taste very good. Best to bet is to get him on ice. So <clears throat> that's that. Also, uh, last thing I'll throw out there uh, with regards to selective harvest, I'm of the opinion that the average size fish of most species tastes better than the large fish. Uh, the texture of the meat can be better as well, so there is that little detail at times uh, as well. I would rather eat an 18-inch walleye than a 25-inch walleye all day long. That's just me. So let's switch gears quickly and say... We've already got our fish. We've already got them dispatched. We've already got them home. What are we doing next? 
<clears throat> for me, uh, depending on the type of fish, it's going to be immediately filleted as soon as possible. And then the fillets are going to go back on ice in with a mix of water and a little bit of salt. And I'm looking for something around a 5% salt solution, which is uh, roughly, I believe, about three quarters of a cup or half a cup of salt to a gallon of water. And I want ice water for this. So I'm going to throw my fillets in that. I'm going to let them soak for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then I'm going to pull them out, pat them dry, and move forward with whatever I go from there. Uh, just rinse them off, pat them dry thoroughly, and then cook them, preferably right then. If you can do that, you're going to have a, an absolutely wonderful fish fillet. If it, it, just delicious. If you're going to freeze it, there's a whole bunch of different methods that's highly debatable. I am not the right guy to ask because I very, very rarely freeze fish, and if I do, it's literally for an overnight and. That sounds kind of dumb, but I'll tell you this. If you're not going to eat the fish the day you catch it, let's say you want to eat it the next day or at the very most, or, or let me rephrase that. You're not going to eat it the day you catch it or the next day. So the day after that, if it's even going to be two days in the fridge, I will go ahead and freeze it because the fish that is frozen as soon as it is filleted will hold better than fish that degrades for two days in the refrigerator. So I'll go ahead and give it a quick freeze in individual fillets and then thought when I'm ready to eat it two or three days later. But I don't put fish in my freezer for a month. I'm not the best guy. Ask Google for that about the best way to long-term long, uh, long storage of frozen fish. As a kid, we always did it with water in the bag. to So the fish could not bleed out any moisture. That always seemed to do fine, but I believe it saps some of the flavor out of the fish over time. So there's that. I strongly prefer to eat fish fresh, so I focus on it. If it's something like a trout, uh, some sort of a salmon that I might eat whole, or any fish for that matter that I'm going to eat whole, which I've been known to do with snappers and a few other fish as well. It's kind of a traditional thing in South Florida to cook whole snappers. Uh, they're absolutely delicious. But in that case, I'm going to gut them. And even with a trout, I'm going to try to get as many or of scales off as I can. So the fish will be gutted basically from the vent to the isthmus, which is the part where the gills and the jawline kind of come together. Uh, split it lengthwise, remove all the guts, remove uh, the stuff along the, the spinal cord of the fish itself, take all the scales off, and then back to there uh, as far as how I'm going to store it. Am I either going to freeze it real quick for a couple days or am I going to eat it immediately thereafter? In most cases with a trout or a salmon, uh, anything like that, it's going to go straight in the brine. Only this time, if it's a whole fish, it might stay in there for more like three hours, four hours, and then come right back out. Part of the reason I put the salt in the water for, in the ice water, when I'm going to soak a fish right after I clean them, is it will help pull out other blood uh, or any other stuff in the fish, for one. For two, it will firm up the meat just a little bit. It'll get a nice firm texture, which we like. Nobody likes a mushy piece of fish. So ice-cold salted water will help firm up the meat quite nicely and, uh, and kind of tighten, it, tighten up the, the cells just a little bit, and it will make a difference in how much moisture it retains when you cook it as well. So that's why I do that. <laughs> so let's switch gears. <clears throat> let's say that we, we're not going to keep the fish. Let's say now we're moving on to a different place in life. We're going to let this fish go. Well, now there's a whole bunch of best practices that come into play, and this is something that I'm very passionate about because I see so many times, particularly with new or younger anglers, <clears throat> excuse me, that fish are mishandled. And 
I've got a good friend of mine, and he is a fish physiologist. He has a doctorate in fish physiology. He travels around the world talking to universities about fish physiology. The guy knows a thing or two about the inner workings of a fish and what makes them survive and what makes them die. He and I had long talk over a couple of beers about uh, fish physiology and as it pertains to catch and release. And he quoted me a bunch of different studies where fish uh, mortality has been studied upon catch and release because it's a, obviously a hot topic with DNR agencies, um, things like that. And it's something that's been studied by various universities and various other institutions for yeah, delayed mortality. What kills fish if they're let go? <clears throat> the number one cause of fish on a delayed mortality is oxygen deprivation. It is basically, long story short, they were fought for too long and held out of the water for too long. Now, fish have very simple nervous systems, and I have a huge pet peeve, and I'm going to throw it out there right now. Whenever a guy tells me, and this is, happens once a week, for me on a social media post, on person with some in person with somebody, whatever. Somebody puts fish in the water, fish stutters for a little bit, doesn't want to write, doesn't want to write, doesn't want to get its act together. Then all of a sudden, with one kick of the tail, fish is gone. And then the angler turns around and with full belief in what they're saying, oh, she swam away strong. That quote right there, she swam away strong. No, she kicked three times, went to the bottom, out of sight, and died. And the the different the thing is this: fish can swim away a lot. I've had fish. I got criticized one time because I had killed a wiper. That fish hadn't been in the water for 20 minutes. He'd been out of the water for a full 20 minutes. I touched him with a flay knife, and he flopped because his central nervous system uh, is what it is. It's very simple. It twitched when the fillet knife cut the right spot. I put that on television, and you would have thought I was out there stomping baby chickens. I got more hate mail for this fish being alive. The fish was not alive. They have a very simple nervous system. It had not been in water for more than 20 minutes. It had been laying on a countertop while we set up filming equipment to film me filleting this fish. It was dead. Their nervous system is very simple, and it will still kick. And that fish can be in bare survival mode, and a little bit of water hits its gills and uses swish around back and forth in the water, and then wham, it takes off. It swam away strong is a complete and utter failure of a term because that is in no way, shape, or form an indication of whether that fish will survive. And according to my fish doctor friend, that's the number one killer is oxygen problems. And it's worse with hybrid species, something like a wiper or a tiger muskie, which are hybrids. They have a harder time uh, regulating their blood chemistry, and therefore they have a harder time recovering from the fight. The fact that both those species and several like them are also very strong fighters, which is indicative of hybrid vigor, which you get whenever you have a hybrid uh, you know, species of any kind, such that, let's say, for instance, a mule is stronger than a horse or a donkey. Well, a wiper is stronger than a striper or a white bass, uh, ounce per ounce. So you got to keep those things in mind. But they also have a die young mentality or mortality thing to them, and they don't regulate their blood chemistry well. And that goes for most hybrid species of fish, tiger trout, wipers, sunshine bass, whatever you want to call them. <clears throat> There's a slew of fish like it, like said tiger muskies. 
if you're going to let fish go, people, uh, you need to get them in the boat as fast as possible. And for me, I get a lot of guys like to use ultralight tackle or really light stuff or really light tippets on your fly rods, and that's fine. I am first to admit that you can land a really big trout on really fine tippet, but you are putting that fish in some serious stress because it takes a very long time to land it and when you nurse fish for too long their blood chemistry cannot recover they get to the point of exhaustion and then you let it go and it might have enough energy to kick two or three times and get away but it does not have enough energy to necessarily survive or in a lot of cases it does not have enough energy to survive predation when you let it go because it doesn't have its wherewithal about it. So uh, it will then be eaten by the very next bird that sees it or the next fish that sees it or whatever the case might be. Regardless, it will not survive because it was out of the water too long. There's an old rule of thumb that says, okay, hold your breath the whole time. From the time you take a fish out of the water, hold your breath. And when you run out of breath, that fish better be back in the water because uh, it's intuitive that the amount of dissolved oxygen is what it is. Well, keep in mind that fish just ran three laps around the block before he came out of the water, and you're just standing there in a boat. So he's going to run out of oxygen faster than you. So the thing these days, and this is why I say social media is killing a lot of fish, because everybody wants to take 27 selfies with every fish they catch, and that is very hard on fish. If you're going to do that, and this is what we always do on Fishful Thinker Television, whether it looks like it on film or not, if we're going to take still photos of fish, they go back in the water in a flat bottom Fraybill Conservation Series net. It's a great big giant net. It's got a flat bottom so it doesn't squeeze the gills. It's made out of rubberized uh, coating on the net so it doesn't rub the slime coat off the fish. And we'll get to that here in a minute. And then they can sit in the water while camera gear's getting ready, boats getting turned for lighting, whatever it is you gotta do. Fish is in the water. Even if you don't have to do anything, even if it's just the process of unhooking the fish and your buddy's already standing there with your phone, you're still better to put that fish back in the water for something like a minute or two or three. In other words, enough time for him to get his breath back. A quick splash in the water so he can he can get wet for a photo is not going to keep that fish alive. And I'm not trying to be preachy, guys. It's just that I see it every day on the lake, and I really see it with the younger generation. Uh, is a man got to have this picture no matter what. And the pictures become more important than the fish catch. And that's fine. If you want to be that, I get it. I understand that. I filmed a TV show for a living for 20 years almost. You definitely need to be easy on the fish, particularly if you're catching very many of them or if you're the kind of guy that wants pictures of a lot of your fish. I see a guy went out today and he posts, posts and there's pictures of 35 fish that all look the same. It's great. Why did you have to take all those pictures? That just stressed all those fish out. If you put them in the net uh, and put them back in the water and let them chill for a minute and get their breath until a fish appears to be behaving normally and then quick pick and then you can let them go. Now, notice I am not saying at any point in this conversation to put that fish in your live well. Do you know why I'm not saying that? You probably don't. I'll tell you. Because in most states, including my home state, or many states, I should say, not most, in many states, including my home state of Colorado, that is illegal. If you put a fish in a live well, it is your fish. You cannot put a fish in a live well and then get that fish back out of that live well and put him back in the lake. 
that is known as culling, and culling is illegal in the state of Colorado. So every time I see people out running around the lake and they're boxing smallmouth so they can get that glamour shot that they all saw on TV of somebody holding five fish in two hands, which is another one of my giant pet peeves, you are stressing them out to the nth degree for one, for you're making them ride around in a live well that they don't need to be in for two, and for three, you're breaking the law and then posting it on social media. So... I am not an advocate of boxing fish in your live well. The other thing about putting them in your live well uh, is that will stress them out even more than just being back in the lake water because of temperature differences and environmental differences in your live well. So putting them back in the lake or holding them in the lake with their head fully submerged like a bass with my thumb is typically I'll just lip him and hold him in the water. That's easy peasy and then the fish will survive. So that's a best practices thing for keeping fish alive, uh, particularly in a boat or a live well. Some other key things about keeping fish alive, and this is a very big one, because the number two thing that kills fish after, after oxygen deprivation or blood chemistry problems, the number two thing that kills them is known as saprolegnia, or disease of, or infection from having their slime coat damaged. So let's say you're a trout guy and you hook a trout and you're like, all right, I got one. And, and you are on the bank and you walk up the bank and you drag that fish in the dirt above the waterline. You might as well take them home and eat them because the chances of that trout surviving are very, very low because they have a very fine, and this goes for any fish with really small scales. The smaller the scales are, the less durable the fish is as a general rule, uh, as a very accurate general rule. So that fish is a more highly developed fish and also therefore more fragile fish. Trout being the leaders in this category, if they're drugging the dirt, even one side of them is drug in the dirt, they will develop slaprolegnia in a very high percentage of cases, particularly if they're in something like a reservoir where they have somewhat warmer water. They might survive that in 35 degree water, 38 degree water. They definitely will not in 60 degree water. And I see them because of where I live, the prevailing wind blows in right behind my house. And dead trout come in here or dying trout come in here on a regular basis every Monday and Tuesday. And it's because they were caught on the weekend they were mishandled. Then by Tuesday, they've got already significant saprolegnia on them, and they're swimming around here. Saprolegnia is also known as ick in a fish tank. If you've ever been in a fish tank and you see fish or a fish tank store and you see fish with this white fuzzy stuff on it, it is an infection that gets on there when they can get through the slime coat on the fish, that slimy stuff. So you have to be careful to protect that. That's why they tell you to wet your hands before you handle trout because even dry hands can do, can do it to trout. It's why we use rubberized nets instead of nylon nets, because it doesn't rub the slime coat off. It's also why Major League Fishing, which is an organization of uh, competitive bass fishing, has a rule that it is illegal for your fish to touch the carpet of your boat, because when you flop a bass even, who, which is a very durable fish, the grand scheme of things, bass are more durable than a lot of other fish, um, you flop that thing in the boat and he flops around in the carpet, he's again rubbing a lot of slime coat off. Now, he won't be as bad as a trout. They're not going to die as commonly as a trout will, but it's still hard on the fish. And you can see it if you take one, and I've done this by having, having uh, uh, fish in fish tanks, like fish store fish. 
you can see when they're first put back in the water after they've been in a net, uh, like my little cichlids, their slime coat is clearly almost fuzzy and hanging off them every which way. And then two days later, because they're in a fish tank and you can treat them, then it goes away no problem. But in the wild, that's not the case. And the reason it kills some of them, it, the ick or the saprolegnia doesn't kill all of them. It kills some of them. The reason it kills some of them is it will get in their gills or it will get in their eyes or their mouth and that causes them problems, uh, more significant problems. Some fish can beat saprolegnia, but it depends on where they get it. The problem is they get it wherever the slime coat is removed and we have to handle fish by the head and the face to get the hooks out. So therein lies the problem. So number one killer is blood chemistry. So you need to get, keep fight your fish as fast as you can, get them to the boat as soon as you can. As soon as they're unhooked, get them back in water so they can do their own thing uh, and get their act together while you get ready for photographs if you're going to do that. Uh, and if you're going to take more than just a couple of photographs, back in the water in between them real quick too. Uh, keep those things in mind for oxygen. For number two, try to protect their slime coat if at all possible. So the less handling, the less time, no chance should they be in the dirt if at all possible. Uh, they should not be on the carpet of your boat if possible, and you should use a rubberized nets. Those things will all help protect the slime coat of the fish so that they can be protected from disease, which will kill them in the long run. And then the last thing that kills fish is physical damage. And physical damage is the one that I think everyone likes to point the finger at because it's the obvious one. It's the one we can see happen. It's what happens when a fish is deep hooked and he bleeds real bad. I can tell you that I have had fish recover from significant bleeding that surprised me. I can also tell you that I've had other fish that died immediately uh, with minimal bleeding. And so it, it depends a little bit on the species there as what you, what you do with a fish that's bleeding. But if you hook a fish in the back of the tongue, kind of where the gill rakers come into the tongue, they're gonna bleed, no doubt. If you damage a gill raker of some sort, they're for sure gonna bleed and they're gonna bleed badly. So. If you've got fish that are deep hooked, your best bet is to reach as far down, don't ever pull on the line at all, reach as far down there as you can with your nippers and cut the line off as close to the hook as you can and let the fish go as soon as possible. Most of the time, the hook will come out relatively quickly. They're, they're able to deal with the hook. The physical hook is the actually the least common thing that kills them. So keep that in mind. Just because a fish is deep hooked does not mean he's going to die. And actually, it hadn't been two weeks since I caught a bass that had a whole crankbait in his gullet that looked like he'd been there for a while, and he was feeding just fine. And so, uh, you know, you never know about a fish that's deep hooked, but if you pull on it, if the, if the hook is in the gill rakers, you do any damage to the gill rakers, uh, a bass, uh, catfish, some species like that might survive. Trout very rarely will survive. Uh, but I have seen bass with, with whole sides of gill rakers removed. So don't automatically give up on that fish just because he's damaged that way. Uh, hold them in the water, let them get their act together as much as they can, and hopefully they can swim off and do, do their thing. There are some old wives' tales about putting them in a live well and pouring Coca-Cola in there. I've seen baking soda in there, things that will help stop the coagulation. According to my fish physiologist doctor, that is all a bunch of crap. So don't be pouring Coca-Cola in your live well. The other thing is there's uh, some tournament guys will put ice in their live well, which we were actually required to do the year I won the national championship as a high school coach. Ironically, we had a dead fish penalty every day, and those fish died within um, 
a very, very short time of being put in the live well, and I'm of the opinion that the reason they died is they came out of 90 degree water and then you put them in a live well with ice in it and they cool down so fast, they're cold blooded, they, they can't deal with that, that level of change that quickly. That's like throwing a rattlesnake in your freezer. Yeah, he might survive the freezer if he's put in there and chilled slowly, but if you take him out of 80 degree air and you throw him in the freezer, he's dead, no time flat. Same thing with the fish. Uh, their body just can't take that rapid of a change in temperature. So don't uh, ice in your live well, uh, small amounts once the fish is in there maybe, but don't put a 10 pound block of ice in there, fill the live well with water and throw a fish in it, uh, and then expect him to not go into shock from, from that drastic temperature change in a hurry. So. Guys, I'm not, again, not trying to rant. I don't want to get off on crazy tangents, and I don't judge. You do you. But if you want your fish to live and you're going to let them go, like I said, fight them strong and quickly. Avoid the, the absolute lightest tackle. Avoid playing with them because you can. Uh, I want fish to be just tired enough that I can handle them boat side, and that's it. No more than that. If you can keep them in the water as much as you can, even better. Handle them the least that you possibly can. Don't get anything abrasive on them. So your carpet, the dirt, uh, a nylon net, um, you know, anything like that. All of those things are hard on fish. And again, if a fish is deep hooked, cut it off and leave it there. Don't attempt to remove it because the, you'll do more damage trying to remove the hook than you will anything else. And on that note real quick, I carry a long skinny pair of nippers in my boat so I can reach in and nip the hook off. So if I've got a crankbait that's way down in there, I'll reach in and nip the hook rather than obviously leave the bait in the whole fish's mouth or, or whatever. So if you can just snip the hook off right where it's at the skin, you'd be very, very much better off for the fish and as well as getting your bait back and hooks are cheap to change. So there's that guys. If you're going to eat them, keep them cold. Get them cold as fast as you can. I'm all for eating some fish. Just pick which ones you're going to eat carefully. So speaking of eating fish, if you go to our YouTube channel, there's a whole bunch of videos there on cooking fish and, and a couple on cooking game as well. We'd love to have you check those out. Lots and lots of information there. More than 600 videos there. Almost all how-to of how to catch fish or maybe how to cook fish. So check those out. We'd appreciate that. You can join the conversation on social media at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and of course, YouTube is uh, at Fishful Thinker as well. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>